Well, hello everyone, and I hope you are ready with your Bibles, because this is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. And so, as your Bibles are open to this week's lesson in, in Acts chapter 16, we just again want to kind of go back and see where we've been, and the um, Paul and Paul and um, Barnabas have have come up against some some um, very important issues, and the some people from some leaders from Judah came down um, to Antioch, and they started um, questioning or putting pressure and um, observances on salvation. And they kept saying that if you have Jesus, that isn't enough. You need circumcision. And so, again, Paul and Barnabas, they they came against that because they know that it's Jesus and no one else. And so there was a sharp dispute and debate, and they stood their ground. And then, then um, when the whole assembly were together, because then they had Paul and Barnabas go back to Jerusalem to deal with this issue. And as the whole assembly were together, Peter got up and he addressed the, the whole group. And, and he said to them, you know that the Lord came and said that this gospel was going to be to everyone and the Gentiles. And he, he put out this beautiful, beautiful speech. And then James, the head of the Jerusalem church, stood up and pretty much verified and said, Simon has described to us how God has first shown his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. So yes, the Jews are important. They were the singled out nation. But then, because Jews rejected the gospel, the Lord said, I bring this gospel to the whole world. I bring it to the Gentiles. And so James said, it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. And so um, they do not need to be circumcised. Jesus is the one and only one that can save, and we need nothing else. But he did add, we're going to send a letter, though, to the Gentiles, because um, it is not, it shouldn't be, because these these ways of of the gospel or the way the, the Jews, the, the believing Jews, they, they still stood to their um, many traditions, and there's nothing wrong with traditions. It's when the tradition gets bigger than Jesus. But, but if you want to worship Jesus through your traditions, that's good, and we shouldn't be, we shouldn't, um, well, they, they we're sending a letter to the Gentiles because we don't want them to be offensive. We don't want them to, to say to those Jews who are feeling that they should do these rituals that that isn't that that's wrong because it's not wrong traditions are not wrong and so this letter went out so Paul and Barnabas and then also they brought in two other men Judas and Silas and then these four um, sent this letter and they went to Antioch with this letter and this letter was written and and was read to these Gentiles, which I thought this is so beautiful. There's nothing wrong with with uh, keeping your traditions, but it, the problem came when those traditions, when they made those a requirement of salvation, um, and nothing is required other than Jesus and the cross and His shed blood for our salvation, our confess, confession and repentance. But but following and worshiping our and worshiping with our traditions, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And then, of course, we know about the dispute that came um, between Paul and Barnabas when Barnabas wanted to when they were when they were going to start this second missionary journey. Then then they 
um, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along, and Paul said no, and it said that they had a sharp disagreement about that. Well, we know how it ended, and, and the two, Barnabas and Paul, split up. And we have a tendency, again, to look at those and say, well, look at it. It really turned out good because we have two groups going out. But I made mention last week, and I want to reiterate, that we can't take these sharp disputes um, too casually because Jesus wants his children to be getting along. We should come together, even though we're going to have differences of opinion, but we should come together and we should never let this particular story, even though the Lord worked it out, and we know he can always work things out for good. Lord, Lord knows we, he does that. But, but we should remember that we should work at keeping relationships um, intact. Because unfortunately, this relationship with Paul and Barnabas, um, that I don't know how, um, how long it lasted, but there was a break in their relationship for some time. And again, we don't know who made amends. Maybe they both maybe they both realized what they had done. But anyway, just a lesson about working at, at keeping keeping relationships intact and that we don't dig our heels in saying, I'm right and even though maybe you are, but we should work at it. So then we we move on into this chapter, this lesson today, that um, it says he came to Derby and then to Lystra, and he, they're talking about Paul, Paul and Silas. Now they're um, working together, and Barnabas and John Mark are working together. But it says that Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. You can see the team is starting to evolve, and we're going to see in later verses in this chapter where the pronoun changes, and now you will see Luke joins the group in just a few verses. But right now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And I, in your questions, I had you describe Timothy. And if you remember, we know that he he had a wonderful mom and a wonderful grandma. And Paul attributed much of Timothy's faith to these two women who passed it on to Timothy, who instructed and taught. And we know that he was highly respected. Many people thought a lot of him. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. Now, after we had just talked about circumcision isn't necessary, but we also hear right here that Paul deliberately circumcised Timothy, and he did that knowing that he was going to be involved with many Jews, and instead of causing a ruckus or um, instead of causing confusion and, and inhibiting the gospel from being heard, Paul I think he really felt the spirit, and obviously he he talked to Timothy about it, and Timothy was in agreement, and so Timothy was circumcised. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So already you can see that the ministry is working and the gospel is being taught and people are responding and they travel from town to town. I hope that you're looking at your map as we go through these um, missionary journeys, the towns that they go through. And, and remember, for the majority of it, I'm sure they're walking it. 
and they do not want to miss any town along the way. And they start churches, and then they go to where there's churches already, and then what do they do there? They strengthen them in their faith. They need to keep growing. Now, as they ventured on in their travels, it says in verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, would not allow them to go into that area. Now, if you're following the map, you will notice that, that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they are just moving along a normal flow, and they're just assuming to continue in this one certain direction. And you should notice the Holy Spirit made it clear to them that they are not to go into the area that was logical. And I can't help but stop here a minute. And do you know that the Holy Spirit guides by shutting doors as well as opening them? And here we see sometimes that the, the Holy Spirit will shut a door. And, and sometimes we don't like that. We don't, we don't like a door shut. We, we like the logical way of continuing. And here was one of those times where instead of going where it was probably natural, the Holy Spirit shut the door. It wasn't time. It's not that the people there didn't need the gospel but it's very clear that the Holy Spirit had a place in mind, people in mind, a time in mind. And so he shut the door to what was normal and had their direction changed. So as they continued, it said, during the night, verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him begging him, come, come over to Macedonia and help us. That was quite a vision. There is a man from Macedonia saying, come, come and help us. He admitted they needed help there. After Paul had seen the vision, we, so now we have Luke involved, we, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. At once, Paul did not question. When a door shuts, what should we know? The Holy Spirit will open another one. In my questions uh, for you, I said, why, why does God change our plans? I mean, after all, they're plans. We planned them. That means this is what we figured on doing. And then all of a sudden, the door shuts and our plans are changed. I hope you're learning from this, that when the Holy Spirit shuts a door for us, and why does he change our plans? Because he has a better one. There's nothing wrong with planning, but we should always be open to God's better plan. And when he shuts doors, it's not because he's mean. It's because he has a better plan. He has, a, he has something in mind that he does not want us to miss. And we see that. Oh, do we see that in this chapter? So Paul and his team, they left immediately. They went toward Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They concluded, well, this is not where we intended to go, but apparently it's God's plan. He's got a better plan. And they, they surrendered to that. 
Oh, I hope we can learn from this. Oh, I hope, I know for me personally, I hope when God changes my plans, I can have an attitude like that. And remember, we've talked about that. That attitude is so critical. Can we surrender and accept this closed door as something that the Lord has a better, better way for us? Okay, verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath... We went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now remember how we've talked the last weeks about whenever Paul and Barnabas, now Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, they, they would always go first to the Jewish synagogue. And here, I think Paul intended to find, again, a Jewish synagogue. But I kind of looked it up and wondered why there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. I know it's Gentile territory, but so were some of the other cities. And yet they had, maybe it was small, because they only needed 10. They only needed 10. 10 Jewish men together to build a synagogue, to have a synagogue. So not having one clearly shows that there were not even 10 Jewish men to, to begin a synagogue there. And sure enough, it's obvious that when they expected at least 10 men in a synagogue, they found these women. And so they met with him. We sat down and began to speak to the women. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. Kind of reminded me of Cornelius, wonderful person, worshiper of God, believer of God. And yet, Lydia's heart, Cornelius's heart, still had to be opened because they were religious, God-fearing people. But that's different than the gospel. We always need to remind ourselves that that it's not Christianity is not a religion, so to speak. It, it is kind of, but but Christianity is more of a relationship with a Savior. And so here, even in Lydia's case, wonderful woman, great business woman, very wealthy. And she worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. Why would he have to do that? The Lord has to open our hearts. But what can he see in our heart? He sees that we have a, a desire. We have a longing to want to know more. That heart is pliable. It's, it's soft so that he can work. A whole lot different than being hard-hearted religious like we've been dealing with and we'll still be dealing with in these lessons. And what a difference in the behavior when you're hard-hearted and religious versus when, you're, when your heart is soft and pliable and willing to want and know more. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. He could tell. And, and you can't help but remember in Acts chapter 14, 8 to 10, 
we, 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 I want to reread these verses in Acts 14, 8 to 10. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul. See, his heart was soft. He listened. He wanted. He desired to know more. And he was, as Paul was speaking, Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed. See, there is a difference. We need to check our heart. Do we get so legalistic and, and hard-hearted that we can't even be pliable to let the Lord open our heart more so that we can learn more and know him better? When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. See, her heart was softened. It was pliable. She listened. She heard. She responded. She said a big yes to Jesus. And then she invited her household. Her household was baptized, and she invited us to her home. She instantly turned into a servant you talk about moving fast, hearing the gospel, responding and saying yes, being baptized, showing and making a statement that I have accepted Christ as my personal Savior, and then she instantly starts to serve. Boy, she didn't let any dust or anything grow under her or her feet. So she is already inviting them to come to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. You know, Lydia, we read about her a few times, a few more times. This wasn't the only time she was, she was needed in Paul's ministry. She, she responded to Paul's ministry so often. And how the Lord put, again, right people, right place, right time. This was the right place and time for Paul to go to Macedonia, to the town of Philippi. He'll bring other people to the other areas. But this is so, such a lesson for us that the Lord is leading and guiding and all we have to do is follow because he knows who he's got planted and ready there. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She learned Oh, she or she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Okay, she's demon possessed. Her owners used this demon possession and and benefited greatly from it. She must have been able to tell fortunes and well, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Now, when you read that, you would think, well, really, she's stating the truth. The team, Paul and his team, they are servants of the Most High. And they are telling the way to be saved. And now she kept that up and kept it up. And it said Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, the little S spirit, the demon. And that's why even though she might be telling the truth, it was a demon a demonic testimony. It was a demon proclaiming the truth. And Paul wanted nothing of that. So he turned around, said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. 
when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, it's kind of like they were pimps. And all, all of a sudden, they can't use her anymore. She's not going to make money for them anymore. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Oh, they are hopping mad. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack. Do you notice that if you are not grounded... That's why, again, I get on my soapbox and, and just, I just, I know I push, I know I preach, I know, I know I'm kind of hard-nosed, but we've got to keep growing. We've got to keep our Bibles open. We've got to be studying. Otherwise, we will get swayed into the, into the charms even, or the, the, the excitement or even the anger or, you know, what's the latest fad, we will get sucked up into that. It doesn't take much for these two popular men who probably carry a big stick, who, who the people know who they are, and they're very recognizable, and maybe they're, they're highly awed by who they are and how much money they have, and and before you know it, the crowd joins in the attack. Get, they get right along in there, mad. And they join in against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, and we know, I don't have to go into that again, this is not your typical beating they are broken and bleeding and they are in pain. And they are then thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, stop a minute. Look at this kind of abuse for what? Doing what is right, fulfilling the call of God on their lives, for loving Jesus so much. And they are willing to go through this. And they are put, they are put in this prison as they are bleeding and probably cold. They're put in the inner sanction of the prison, which means no ventilation, probably very unsanitary, probably smells, and they're fastened, their feet are fastened in stocks, and so they can't move and stretch, and and. Their body's been broken, and I'm sure it hurts with their feet in stocks. It is a miserable setting. In about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You talk about an attitude, chick. You talk about no sobbing and complaining and whining. Now they're as human as you and I, and there, there could have been, there could have, you know, they could have looked at one another and said, did you sign up for this? Did you think it was going to be like this? Did you think telling people the greatest news that, that, could change their lives for all eternity? Do you think that, did you ever think that this is what we were going to get for that? If that went through their mind, and it 
probably didn't because they certainly were filled with God's spirit and they were walking in the ways of the Lord. They were obedient to where he called them to go. But if they had any slight of human nature, they were starting to think, I don't know about this. And so they had a change, if not check, their attitude. They had to go back to the cross of Christ and remember what he went through for them. And that settled them into their place of singing hymns and praying. That's how they stayed connected to their God. Instead of whining and complaining and questioning and doubting, they chose to go, I bet, I bet, you know, because what are hymns? Hymns tell the story of Jesus. I think one of the hymns they probably were singing, if it had been written, would have been redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child forever I am. Or when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot that was taught me to say. It is well with my soul. Jesus made it possible that my soul is well. Jesus came me near the cross. They are a precious fountain. Near the cross, near the cross, be my glory ever. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior are happy and blessed. These songs, whatever they were singing, reminded them of who Jesus is and what he had done for them. And because of that, and they were praying. Remember, praying isn't just talking, but it's listening. They had that communication. Their, their spirit was connected to the Holy Spirit. And what do we know about the Holy Spirit? He will give us what we need when we don't think we have any more. The Holy Spirit was feeding them encouragement and reminding them of Jesus. And because of that, look, look what be because of their attitude, because of their choice. Because of their choice. And and in all reality, look, all the other prisoners were listening to them. Luke made sure we know that. Because Luke wasn't in this prison. So Paul and Silas had to have told Luke that when we were in there, we were praying and we were keeping our attitude right by singing hymns about Jesus. And, and then we looked around and we noticed all the prisoners in there were listening to us. They saw that we had joy even in the middle of all this yuck. We had joy. What a powerful testimony that had to have been. What about us? When we're in the middle of our yuck, we don't put on superficial happiness and, oh, ha-ha, everything's wonderful. No, the reality was the prisoners could see these men were in pain. They were beaten. They were, they were in, in chains, in stocks. And yet they saw them with joy coming out of their face. But suddenly, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the found foundations of the prison were shaken. I mean, this wasn't just an ordinary earthquake. This was a meticulous, meticulous, miraculous event. Because at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. I mean, this, it did, this earthquake did everything it was supposed to do. Fling the doors wide open Take every chain from every prisoner. The thing is, they didn't leave. 
doors open, chains off, and they did not leave. And at once, when the prison doors flew open and the chains flew off, the jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped, which was logical. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all here. No one has escaped. Did you ever stop at long enough in the story? Because we do all love this story. But do you ever stop and, and think, why didn't they leave? Why didn't those prisoners leave when they knew this was the chance of a lifetime? They didn't. They didn't leave. I go back to verse 25, and I think there is the reason why they didn't leave. The attitude and the testimony and the joy of Paul and Silas, and they watched them in the middle of it all. A powerful testimony can get somebody to want it. A powerful testimony that shows joy in the middle of pain. A confidence when everything around is unfair. Instead of, of sobbing and, and whining and complaining and I'm sick of this. I don't want this anymore. I want it gone. I want to be comfortable and happy. I want everything the way it used to be. You didn't hear that from Paul and Silas. You heard their faith and their trust and they allowed the Holy Spirit to produce in them. And so what did you see? You saw love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. You saw the fruit of the Spirit, and that is so powerful and so, so contagious. I believe that is why those prisoners didn't leave. Oh, I know, God probably put his hand on them and they couldn't leave. I, I, I still say God's Holy Spirit just kept them there. Not because they had to, but because they wanted to. They loved what they saw. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, called call two prisoners, Sirs. I'd say there's a little change going on here. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He wanted, he wanted a life like Paul and Silas. I think the prisoners looked at that. They wanted a life like Paul and Silas. What did Jesus say? I came so that you would have life to the fullest. He didn't say that life would be perfect and comfortable and happy. It would be full. Full of what? Full of him. And that's enough. They replied. Paul and Silas replied. Look Look what they're... Did you notice they didn't refer them to, well, um, I'll... I'll uh, let so-and-so tell you, or um, we better wait till we get to this particular place, or, or whatever. There, were, there was no, they didn't refer him to anyone else. They didn't, they didn't delay in time. They knew that time was of the essence. This man's heart was open now. They didn't refer him to anybody else because they knew, they knew what they had to say. But look how simple. Look how simple the response. They didn't get all of their seminary books out. All they said, and this is what we've got to remember, we make witnessing so complicated. If you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, you have got a testimony, and you've got the answer to someone who wants to be saved. And the answer is Jesus. And this is the simple answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
And you will, your whole household will be saved if they respond to this gospel. Here again, I think you see, we don't pick favorites. We'll take your whole household if they all believe. And you and your whole household will be saved by Jesus. I heard a story one time about an old chaplain general in the British Army. His name was Bishop John Taylor Smith. He, he would give his candidates for chaplains. He was a teacher as well, of course, training other men to be chaplains. And he gave a unique test before he gave them the privilege of being called a chaplain. And what, and what he did was he would look at each man and he would say to them, what would you say to a man injured in battle who had only three minutes to live and wanted to be saved? This is the test. What would you say to an injured man who only had three minutes to live and he desired to be saved. And if they couldn't, if they could not do it in three minutes, the chaplain said, you are not yet fit for chaplain service. I thought that was quite something. Because Paul and Silas show us that this man asked the question, what must I do to be saved? They didn't go into a, an hour and a half of, of whatever. They just stated the truth and said, this is all that's required, is that you believe with your heart. You believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You believe he is your Savior that he died for you, that his blood was shed for you, and he is standing here with open arms welcoming you to come if you just answer the call. That's how you are saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house, and at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. Of course he was, because on the second of your salvation, you receive God's spirit. And the spirit is now going to start producing this beautiful fruit the jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. You think of, from, from suicide, because remember, that's what he was going to do. He had, the, he had the sword ready to kill himself. So within a matter of, look, at the short time, I don't know, hour, two, three, I don't know, but in this short period of time, from suicide, to salvation. What, what a change in this man. When it was daylight, the magistrate, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now, now you can leave. Go in peace. Verse 37, you can almost hear Paul say, nah, uh, uh, wait a minute here. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, do you, they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. That is quite a verse. Did you think, now, one of the questions I had you, how the Lord had, had so 
plan for Saul. And then Paul, this Jew, this Pharisee, this smart, intellectual, religious, zealous Judaizer, how he had him all prepared even to the point of that he was a Roman citizen from birth. And how do I know that? Because we will get to it in Acts chapter 22. In Acts chapter 22, then he talks about the fact that he was a Roman citizen from birth. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul, when he's talking, when he's writing his letter to the people of Galatia, he tells them that how God had prepared him from, from birth, that he, he, had, he had, him, it had, it had him all planned to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and how every one of these details are just so necessary and how the Lord goes before us to make sure that we have what we need when we need it. But my question was why didn't, you see, because Romans, there was no limit to their beatings. I mean, they could, they could uh, beat him as long, they could beat him to death for that matter. And Paul and Silas knew that because they were both Roman citizens. And yet it said that they didn't say anything. They did not pull that Roman citizen card out when the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and they were ordered to be stripped and beaten and severely flogged. That was so wrong. They, they were not supposed to do that to Roman citizens. Now why didn't Paul and Silas to prevent that kind of pain and suffering? Why in the world didn't they say, no, you don't? were Roman citizens. They would have never, they would have never been flogged and they would have never been thrown in that prison. And they would have never met those prisoners, had the opportunity, had the opportunity to share the gospel and share their attitude of what, in, in the middle of it all, to be able to still show joy and sing those hymns and keep that connection with the Holy Spirit through prayer. That earthquake wouldn't have been meticulous and the prisoners wouldn't have been able to see that and hear that and, and the Philippian jailer and his household would have never been saved. Could it have been that the Holy Spirit said, no, shut that door. You may say it now because there's work to be done. And the shutting of that door opened up the door of, this, of salvation to not only the Philippine jailer, but you don't know how many of the prisoners. But now Paul does. Now Paul does say, hey, 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 you know what? We're both Roman citizens. And they better come to us. Let them come and escort us out. Verse 38, the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. Oh, I've got a lot of other words. They were nervous. They were scared. They were panicked. Can you just picture them? Oh, they came right over. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them. Now they're requesting them. Oh my, what a change in tone. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison. See, Paul and Silas, it's not that, that they were trying to be silly here. They just wanted them to think about what they had done. They didn't give them any hard time. They didn't give them any big mouth. Paul and 
but they did leave town. But look, verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. They went to Lydia's house. Their new friend, their new sister in Christ, the one who was so willing to now that her heart was open to Jesus, allowed Jesus to use her and now to have these two men come back. Why? Look at it, it says right there, where they met with the brothers, and I'm sure sisters, obviously, and encouraged them. Isn't that something? They went to them. Because my first thought was, oh, then Lydia can take care of them and, and you know, kind of pamper them and love on them. And, but that's not what it says. They went back to Lydia's house because her, her household, and maybe other believers, gets it said the brothers, the other brothers and sisters, the other believers in Christ, and they encouraged them. They encourage them. Why? Because look, they could say, this isn't always going to be an easy life. Yes, it's going to seem unfair sometimes the way you're treated, but it will be worth it. What living testimonies they were. And as we go into next week's lesson, I'm here to tell you, I stand amazed that these two men didn't throw in the towel and say, you know what, I've had it. But they don't. So why do we get discouraged? Probably because we are not in our Bibles enough. We're not reading stories like this. Because as Paul and Silas went back to Lydia's house to encourage them, Paul and Silas, through this story, if we're reading it, should encourage us. We should be encouraged that it is worth the price and sometimes it is a high cost. Sometimes people don't understand. Sometimes it is difficult. But go back to the cross and it will be worth it every time. And then they left. They had more towns to go to. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. It does remind us that as human beings, being a follower of yours is not always easy. And we fight that human nature of despair and discouragement. But Lord Paul and Silas here show us that by following the Holy Spirit, it enables them to do what we could never do for ourselves, and that is stand and continue. Father, you are worth it. Jesus, you are worth it. Holy Spirit, you are worth it. In our Messiah's name we pray, amen.